Okay. Well, let's open up with a word of prayer, guys. Let's go before the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening, and thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for your grace and your goodness and your love that we in every way do not deserve. God, thanks for these brothers that are here tonight. Thanks for Spencer and this ministry, this teaching. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me the clear words, that uh, you would illuminate our hearts and minds, understand your truth and you better, that we would know you better, love you better, worship you better, and live better and uh, replicate your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, be present tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, without further ado, let's dive in. We're going to talk about the attributes of God. I got a lot of notes here tonight. Uh, I wrote a book called The Almighty God's Holy Attributes and Their Meaning for Your Life. Uh, so check that out. It's, uh, it's on Amazon and on different uh, platforms and uh, it goes through a lot of different attributes. And tonight I want to capture just 10 of those. We don't have time to go through, but in my book, I think I capture about 30 of them or so. So uh, check that out. It's available in paperback, ebook, and also Audible if you guys ever want to just listen to a book. So that's also available. Um, I want to start out with a quote, uh, a couple quotes here, just to kind of get us thinking here, uh, to, to align our minds better, to properly think about God and his attributes. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. Our life and our worship will be as pure or base as our thoughts of Him. In other words, how we think, how we live, how we operate, how we conduct ourselves is in many regards in direct correlation to how we view God. If we view God properly, our life should reflect Him better. We should live differently. Pure, elevated, or base depending on how we view. Um, And this is uh, my quote from my book here. Man is naturally predisposed to hold low views of God and high views of self. It's inverted. In other words, we reduce, diminish, and adjust God to fit around us. Is that not true? I mean, I could just talk, I mean, that could be a whole sermon right there, right? We, we, We flip it upside down the way it's supposed to be. We, we hold these low views of God and therefore we exalt ourselves. And that's just honestly at, at the core, that's what sin does. It puts yourself on the throne of your heart and says, I'm in control, not God. And so we have to change that. We have to dethrone ourselves, enthrone God where he belongs, where he is anyway, and then live accordingly. Okay, this is just some thoughts for us to kind of prepare our minds for what we're going to go through tonight. Now, first off, what is an attribute? Before we dive in and start talking about some attributes, what, are, what is an attribute? An attribute is what God has revealed as true of himself. It's what God has said in his word about who he is. It's the qualities of God that constitute who he is in his basic character and nature. In attempts to understand God better, theologians classify his attributes in two primary categories, greatness and goodness. So we're going to look at greatness and goodness. I think I've got six for one and four for the other. There's a whole lot more. And now a lot of theologians have said, how many attributes does God have? Right? Um, 
in my personal opinion, I believe God has infinite, unlimited attributes. There is so much about God. There is more about God that we don't know than we know. And what we know from what Scripture tells us of who God is, is, not, is just a, a sliver of a fraction of an atom compared to all the atoms in the universe of knowledge of who He is. Does that not blow your mind away when you think about that? Uh, so anyway, so I believe that God had, but greatness and goodness is how theologians classify. Greatness is the qualities which belong to God and none other, and goodness are the moral qualities of God, which man can also have and demonstrate in relationship. Uh, the examples of these would be, you know, you know, the uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, does anyone know the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Anyone want to recite those? Anyone know that off the top of their head? If not, I can just say real quick, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, these are attributes of God, which we could also have and demonstrate in relationship. Okay, another question. What other distinctions should we be aware of when it comes to God's attributes? Is there a difference between God's attributes from his roles and his acts? Two, what about the Trinity? Do they share the same attributes? Three, or is God some attributes at some times and other attributes at other times? In other words, is, some, is God justice at one point in time and then he's, and then he's, uh, then he's love at another time, right? Is he sometimes one and then sometimes the other? We, we often get that confused. It's not uncommon to think that. I think most Christians actually ask that question and don't know the answer to that. But we're going to answer that in a second. Does my perception of God or experience impact who he is? That one's kind of self-explanatory, but I have to bring that up because it goes back to the beginning where I, where I opened up where I said our perception of God is so important. How we view God impacts everything. And a lot of times we create this God in our mind, which is not the God of Scripture. Not the God behind the Scripture, I should say. All right, so let's look at the answers to these. One, two, three, four. Then we're going to dive into greatness, goodness, and then some application questions at the end. I'm going to open up on the floor for us to chat about this. So that's the order of stuff tonight. So let's answer the first. Is there a difference, difference between God's attributes from his roles and acts? The answer is right here. God's attributes should not be confused with his roles, such as being a creator or preserver or his acts, such as creating, guiding, preserving. Uh, these roles and acts should be understood as flowing from the divine attributes of his supremacy and his sovereignty, respectfully. respectively. Uh, so if you want to read more about God's sovereignty and God's supremacy, you can read that in my book. I, I cover that in those chapters. I don't think we're going to cover that tonight. Two, God's attributes should not be confused with the special roles of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. While the special roles of each person are unique, the Holy Trinity cooperates harmoniously in, in, in this work. So in other words, God the Father primarily is the sender of the Son and the Spirit. But the Son and the Spirit cooperated in that work. We're, we're involved in that work. The Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify us. One of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to, sanct to make us more like Jesus, to, to set us apart, to make us more holy. But Jesus and the Father are also involved in that. But one kind of takes preeminence over the other. Does that make sense? They're all equal. They, they share the same attributes. They're all love. They're all grace. They're all mercy. They're all forgiveness. They're all sovereign, but they take different roles. So we don't want to confuse the roles and how they function in relation to the church, in relation to each other, with the attributes. They all share the attributes. It's just one God. Three and one, one and three. Okay. Three. 
Is God some attributes sometimes and other attributes at other times? That's a good question, isn't it? And the answer is no. God's attributes should not be understood as part of who he is or how he may express himself at one time or another. Rather, God's attributes should be perceived as who he is at all times in all places, equally and simultaneously. God is, God is equally and fully and completely every attribute in every instance. Even if, it show, even if we see an instance in Scripture where God's maybe showing grace and forgiveness or justice, does it mean that God is more just or more gracious at that point in time? No, He's 100% entirely, always, equally, all attributes, and none. He's no, he's no more one than the other. He is equally all. I just want to make that clear because uh, that's, that's part of understanding his unity and his nature. Okay, four. God's attributes should not be perceived as the mental conception that we project upon him. For the finite mind, which is a limited mind, can never grasp the infinite. God is infinite without boundary. Nor can our experience or opinion determine who he is. That's a whole other sermon for another time. But for each one of us, it, I want to say this. It is absolutely impossible for your experience for you to separate your experience from how you view God entirely and that's not there's nothing wrong with that but we just have to be mindful and understand that who God says he is in, in, in the word of God and scripture trumps our experience and if our experience seems to contradict what like a lot of times I've gone through or you've, you've heard of horrendous we've all heard of horrendous things but how could God be a God of love? Doesn't it seem to contradict? And the idea is that regardless of human experience, it, doesn't not, it does not alter who he is and who, who he says he is in Scripture, how he reveals himself, his attributes. God is love regardless of human experience, regardless of what human beings encounter or, or we encounter in our own individual life. Now, I have to say, though, it is, it is impossible to fully separate that. It is. And being and I want to go into a whole sermon, but just for a quick second, how we view our how we live our life in America and even at Seacoast, the culture at Seacoast, American culture, we are so unbelievably twentieth, twenty first century American, you know, um, you know, seacoast culture. I mean how, the the environment that we're in and our experience does impact how we view scripture. It's impossible to separate that. I just want you guys to know that. So it's not wrong to say, oh, you know. Anyway, I'll go off on that tangent, but I just want you guys to understand that our experience should not change who he is. And sometimes, there's a lot of times where we yell, we say, God, why? But he still is on the throne. He still is a God of grace and mercy. Okay, let's dive into some attributes. Are you guys ready for this? All right, so let's get into some of the greatness attributes. Um, Self-existence. I wanted, I wanted to bring up self-existence because that is, in my opinion, the, the starting block for understanding God. Because everything we know, human language, the physical, everything that you know, that we think, our six, our, our five, how many, we have five senses? Six, five senses, right? Almost said six. <laughs> our five senses, how we perceive the world around us, all of that is created and had a beginning and God exists outside of everything we know and ever will know out of our five senses um, 
the self-existence is the uncaused, eternal existence of God that had no beginning. Before space, which is hard to understand, because space is, this is space. Before space itself, a square foot, before even space. I mean, it blows my, our minds can't, we only know the confines of space. We only know space and time. You know, that's all we know. It, it blows our mind to think. God it created that. He exists other than that. I'm not, I'm not even going to say outside of it. Like, even that, even the idea of outside creates space, right? I'm communicating through the, the words of space even there. God exists other than space. Um, Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God always was. God is. That's the best place to start. Everything created is not God, and that which is uncreated is God. Okay, holiness. And again, the greatness of God are the attributes which only God possesses himself. No other other than the Lord God Almighty uh, possesses these attributes. Holiness. The complete set-apart character and nature of God that is entirely other than. Um, Isaiah 6.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And there's three holies in there, and there's something, and I don't want to get into like, you know, that too much, but the idea of holy, holy, holy three times in Scripture is I'm emphasizing it, then I'm emphasizing it again. Oh, and I'm emphasizing it even more again a third time. And so when we see these three time holy, holy, holy in Scripture, that's, that, that, that's supposed to be a, a bell going off for us to, to, to be aware of, oh, this is important, what Scripture is saying right now. Holy, holy, holy art thou, O, o, o Lord. So God is completely other than. The best way that I can describe holiness, guys, is this. And I'm going to put this in my own words. So take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But I, okay, Because again, even my language I'm using right now is created. Right? Words and concepts are a created thing. So even that falls short to describe God because God exists other than that. But the, God is so unbelievably holy that if we were in this flesh to, to, to be in his presence, in less than a, a, a millisecond, a billionth of a second, less than that, we would incinerate that fast. It is the piercing, pure, purest, bright light of holiness that is so completely powerful and loving and gracious and good and merciful all at the same time and powerful. And it, God is so other than every single thing that we know and we will, even in heaven, we will never fully comprehend how holy God is. Because if we understood how holy God was, we'd be God himself. And we never will, of course, be God. We're not God. So even in heaven, in glory, when we are with Jesus, with the Father, with the church, you know, with the saints, even then we'll never fully grasp the holiness of God. He is that holy. And we need to think of him in that regard. Holy Trinity, the name for the three persons who make up the God are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three in one and one in three. Matthew uh, 28, 19 is a great commission. And it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice it says name, not names, plural. 
<clears throat> Notice it says name singular. Name, one name. The singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we've heard the Trinity many times, but that's important to put in here. God is one in three and three in one. Uh, theologians call it the economy of God. The economy comes from a Greek word called oikonomos. Uh, I think I might, might be saying that exactly right, but it's oikonomos, I believe it is. And that means household in Greek. In the household, there's an order. You have, you have a husband and a wife, right? You've got kids. There's an order for how God designed the household. And in the same way, in the Greek, when it refers to the Trinity, it, you know, it's, it's the word oikonia, which is household, or economy, or order of, of, of um, responsibility and role. Again, God's equal. The Father is not greater than the Son and the Spirit. The Son's not greater than the Spirit, even though Jesus said, I leave and the Spirit comes to you, right? They're all equal. And we tend to think the Father is higher than the Son, do we not? Come on, guys. And then we say, then the Son, right? And then we say, then the Spirit. And actually, then the Spirit, way over there, right? <laughs> way over there, out in the parking lot. You know? No. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all on this. They're all, it's, it's the same person, being, essence. But they share different roles. And again, our finite mind can, can, cannot comprehend that. And I could go into the Trinity in much more depth, but uh, we don't have time for that. Omnipresence. Omni means all. Presence means present. God is all present. The all present spirit of God at all places, equally and simultaneously. And uh, Psalm 139 says, uh, 7 and 8 says, If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. So a better way to think of this is God is not present everywhere. In fact, I'm sorry, we are, um, let me say it this way. God is not present in all of creation, but all of creation is in the presence of God because creation itself, as astronomical as the universe is, is still finite, but God is infinite. So creation is in the presence of the infinite. Does that make sense, guys? You know, it's not like God's in the presence of all of creation. It's the other way. All of creation is in his presence because creation is limited. God is unlimited. So we are in his presence everywhere we go. Um, omniscience means all-knowing. How am I doing on time here? Okay. Uh, okay. Here we go. All right. Omniscience, the all-knowing, perfect, and complete knowledge of God, including eternity past, eternity future, and the infinite multiplicity of potential realities that could have been or may be. This one right here is one that blows my mind. I think about this one a lot. God knows everything. Guys, not just everything that occurred in the past, not just everything that will occur in the future, right? Which is mind-boggling enough in that order. The past to know everything is mind-boggling. Then to know what's going to happen in the future is blows my mind away. Everything. But here's the thing. God doesn't just know eternity past and eternity future. God knows every potential reality and the implications. In other words, as silly as if I, if I wore a different shirt or if I didn't show up to work or if I decided not to do this or that, the small decisions, the big decisions, who you guys choose to marry, where you guys choose to live, your job, maybe you took another job, whatever it is. These different, we all, we make so many decisions in our lifetime, great and small. 
and God knows, and that's just your life, let alone the billions of people on this, on this earth, and not just that, just events like, you know, hurricanes and different things that happen. God knows all potential realities and the implications that come from those realities, and then the implications, it's infinite. And God knows all possible worlds. It's called an all possible world. It's called Molinism. It's a whole other thing, too. Uh, theologians talk about that. So, but the fact that God knows everything about our life should be, and at first it's kind of scary because it's like, man, like, God knows every detail, and we are sinful people. And that's embarrassing. God knows everything about us. But at the same time, it should be the most comforting thing to know. God knows every single thing about our life, right? Every single thing. And his love is infinite. That's an amazing thing to think about. God knows every detail. All right. So that's omniscience. Uh, Omnipotence. The all-powerful. Potence means potent. The all-powerful, infinite capability and energy of God. Um. In fact, I skipped the verse. I'll read that up at 139 here. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's on uh, omniscience. Omnipotence. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah 32, 27. God has the ability to do um, anything. And I, I can go into more on that as far as like, well, can God do anything? Well, God can't do anything that contradicts his character and his nature. Okay, I'll say that, right? God, God can't contradict who he is, but God is, is all-powerful. When you think about in Genesis where it says, I, I, and I put this in my book, I love these five words in Genesis. And he made the stars also. And he made the stars also. Five words. Five words is dedicated to the universe. And when you think about this, our, our, our galaxy that we live in is about 100 billion stars. Each star has, most of them at least, have planets around them, and, and stars are sun, like our own sun. 100 billion in just our Milky Way, but there are potentially trillions of galaxies, if not more than that. We don't know. This is just the known universe. The known universe we know at least 100 billion. So it's 100 billion times 100 billion. That's a large number. That's a lot of energy. Think about the energy that comes from the sun. Just this, our, our one sun out of the 100 billion in our one galaxy of potentially trillions of galaxies. And God, and, and Genesis says, he made these stars also. Five words. Think about the power and the energy and the capability. And God spoke all of that into existence. Let there be light. Mind-boggling. Think about the, again, guys, we don't give God enough. I'm, being, I'm, I'm emphasizing this pretty strongly. We do not give God enough, remotely, absolutely not at all, enough thought as to, as to who He really is. Because we are so wrapped up in our world and our problems and our little this and that and our, and our routine and everything. We don't think about these things I'm talking about right now. Go and look at the stars, and that's just a few 10,000 out of... Tri- Beyond trillions, a Googleplex. Look that number up. And and God and God spoke it into existence. If God can do that, what must He be like? What must God be like? Whew. Good gracious! All right. 
the goodness of God. Now, this is where um, these are the attributes and the qualities of God which man can have and also demonstrate. First off, grace. Got to talk about grace. It's the, the grace of God, which we hear all the time, is the goodness of God applied towards our demerit and our debt. What is demerit and debt? Demerit is missing the mark. You know, God set a standard of holiness. We miss the mark. We don't have the we don't have, we don't have any merit of holiness in His presence. God alone is holy. We we are demerited. We don't have any merit because of our sin and debt. What is debt? The debt of sin. The wages of sin is death. Right? It says in Ephesians. So it is His goodness, and goodness I didn't put in here, but the goodness of God is is an overarching attribute of God, which constitutes all of of um, you would say the fruits of the Holy Spirit as an example. You know, grace is one example of those, right? So it's his goodness that applies towards our demerit and debt. Uh, it says this in Ephesians 2.8.9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we are saved by grace. God applies his, his goodness towards our demerit and debt. What's mercy? A lot of times we get this confused too. What exactly is mercy? The mercy is the goodness of God applied towards our suffering and guilt. Guys, our sin doesn't just separate us from God. Our sin doesn't just make us demerited and and have the debt of sin, which is eternal punishment. But because of sin, we suffer. Because of sin, we carry guilt. Each and every one of us. Thank God for his mercy and his goodness. Mercy is his goodness that washes and cleanses away suffering. When we suffer, we can experience mercy, which is, which is healing, which is joy. That, that words can't, our mind, we can't describe why or how. That's his mercy. And it says this in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not meekly, not shyly, confidently before God, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So his grace forgives us, and his mercy washes away the shame and the guilt that we carry. Okay, love. There are two different definitions of love here. There's an Old Testament um, word for love, and there's a New Testament word for love here. The Old Testament is hesed. It's a Hebrew word that signifies the covenantal relationship of God with his people. So the Old Testament is really signified. We see God interacting with his people in in a covenantal relationship. Um, Hesed is characterized best as the complete faithfulness, trustworthiness, and loyalty of God. God says in the Old Testament, though you continue to mess up over and over and over and over and over, and we read the story over and over of God's people that just continue to just not get it right. Sometimes they got it right, most of the time they didn't. Doesn't that sound familiar? It sounds like us, does it not? Yeah. And over and over and over again, we see God's faithfulness through that, his loyalty to his people through that. That's hesed. 
That's Hesed. That's Hesed. That's his loyal covenantal relationship to his people, regardless of how they fall short. He remains true to his promises, to his people. Agape is the New Testament uh, word, one of them. It's a Greek word characterized best as the self-sacrificial, unconditional love of God toward humanity. God's agape love is best demonstrated through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for the sins of the world. And Psalm 139, 26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. So those are the two different uh, distinctions, generally speaking, of how we see the love of God demonstrated both throughout Scripture. And last but not least, faithfulness. Faithfulness is the flawless reliability of God to, first and foremost, himself. Not first to his people, but to himself and his promises, his word and his promises. So when God is faithful, a lot of times we think, oh, God is faithful to us, right? God is faithful to me. That's true, he is. But God is faithful to you and me and to us because his word and his promises and his character says, here's how he will be with us. Remember, go back to love. Covenantal relate, he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's loyal. He remains self-sacrificial, unconditional towards his people. It's part of who his character is. And because that's who his character is, he remains true to that. That's called his faithfulness. He's faithful to his word and himself and his character. Okay?